Terry is the founding father of um, New Frontiers, a group of churches that we belong to. He's a great Bible teacher. He has spent his life trying to build uh, the church of God and extend the kingdom. And so it's a real privilege to have, us, have him here with us. He speaks at lots of international conferences. So it's really great to have him here building us up as a local church. So let's give him a really warm welcome as he comes to stay. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be back at King's. Thank you for that very warm welcome. And though I'm so important, they didn't tell me the M23 was closed this morning. <laughs> so I'm, although it's uh, seamlessly run here, I'm apologizing for being a bit late. Uh, they took me on a very weird, perverse route when they closed the M23. Anyway, we've arrived. And uh, I'd just like to pray and we'll get into it. Father, thank you for the joy of fellowship. Thank you so much for all that you've done in this church, Lord, over the years. Lord, the way you've built and continue to build, continue to add new life and glorify your name right across this area. Lord, we just want to tune right into you now, Father, as the author of all this. Lord, the mighty overseer of it, the one who's breathing life into it. And Father, would you overshadow us this morning? Would you... Cause your spirit to lead us into truth, to do us good, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've seen Andrew Wilson's outline of uh, Philippians, of some eight weeks that we're going to spend in this wonderful book. I think it's a great idea to uh, take a whole church through um, such a passage, uh, such a book, and to concentrate on it and... uh, Appreciate the invitation to be with you this morning. It's quite challenging to know what do you do in two sessions. Uh, I'm certainly not going to try and do an overview of the whole book. I thought as I was praying about it uh, some months ago when I was first invited, I thought God drew me into two uh, particular approaches we're going to do in these two sessions. And the first one is really wanting to underline the reality of what it is to be drawn into a community. I think we live in a a generation, and especially in the city of London, of tremendous fragmentation, of uh, hardly knowing who you belong to, where you belong. People are desperately, desperately lonely. And I'd like to believe that the Church of God is God's wonderful answer to that, that we, we get drawn into a family, we get drawn into a community of love, where we're loved and known. And of course, a church such as your own that's large and growing, it's, it's, it's easy to come in. It's more important, can we stay in? Can we get knitted in? Can we get gathered in? Can we become part of this family? And the groups that you lead are absolutely fundamental to that. They're key to people feeling, hey, I belong, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm gathered in. And uh, so the part you play is hugely important. And I appreciate the time involved, the commitment involved. I'm sure for most of you, you've already got hugely busy lives jobs and families, and, and then the small group as well. Uh, it's a, a demanding role, but it's a very, very valuable and important role. Another thing I'd like to say is this, that sometimes church doesn't provide the kind of family feel that we're looking for. It's very possible just to be lonely in the pew, lonely in the meeting. You, you feel, well, they're all enjoying God, but I, I don't know anybody here, and so on. And finding your way in 
can be extraordinarily difficult. And I do believe that God wants us to be a church that is hugely embracing and uh, receiving of people. And I'd love that to be our testimony. I believe it is our testimony as a family of churches. I was invited by a guy uh, two years back now to speak at an international conference that was hosted in Poland. There were 700 pastors from all over Europe there. And this is an American guy running it. And he said to me, I've heard about New Frontiers. And he said, what I hear about it is so unique in my experience. He said, it's the, it's the family feel. He said, I've met it in several different locations. We'd never met before. He was in the country briefly to see one or two people in advance of the conference. But he said, the sense of family that you seem to enjoy is remarkable. I thought, well, it's what we want, isn't it? It's what we are. And... Uh, he was impressed and stirred by it and asked me, would I speak at this conference to talk about these kind of values that build that kind of church life? I want to look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1 with you. That's what we're going to do in this first session because I believe that here Paul sets out a value system just in one verse that will do us good to consider. Okay, so... In the translation I have in front of me, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. That's the particular phrase. The actual order of words in the original text is, My brothers, my beloved, my longed for, my joy, my crown. And I want to suggest to you that the atmosphere of the early church was almost foreign to the atmosphere of the church in the modern day, but we want to get as close to it as we can. And I believe that Paul, as an apostolic leader, set the tone, set the note. And I believe you, as leaders of groups, are in a key position to try and bring us through to the place where the church becomes what she should be in terms of family, in terms of being gathered in, joined to something, no longer just an isolated person in the busyness of London, but I'm in this world and I'm, I'm part of it. So I just want to look at these five words with you through this first session. And uh, I, I, I was captivated by them. As I looked at them, I thought, here's how Paul saw this church. Now, Paul planted this church. Uh, you can read about how it happened in the book of Acts. Very exciting. He was deliberately led by the Spirit uh, to go to Macedonia, had this Macedonian call, come over and help us. He arrived in Philippi, there's some conversions, there's some backlash, he's in prison, the prison bursts open, an earthquake, God acts in power, and this church comes to birth, and uh, a marvelous church. And Paul uh, writes to it himself from a distance now as an apostle, he's elsewhere, he's writing from prison, and this church has really tied in with Paul. He talks as you go through the epistle about their partnership with him. So they're a church caught up with an apostolic movement. They don't see themselves as isolated. They see themselves as tied into Paul. Paul brought them to birth. Paul, as it were, is their apostle. They send money to him. So one of the reasons the letter is written, as you'll come across, is it's a thank you letter. Thank you so much for your gift. That's one of the whole reasons he wrote it. And then the other reason he wrote it was that was sad division in the church. Those will be the ma main two reasons for this letter ever being written at all. And we'll come to that in the second session. There was division 
and he's concerned, he's heartbroken, he's anxious that they'll see this resolved. But here we're talking about the tone that's there. So he's saying, my brothers, you're my brothers. I'm writing to you as brothers. Now sometimes you can find that language used in something other than that. You can find it maybe in a trade union where people call people brothers. You can find the word brother can get slipped in uh, casually. But the reality is our experience of brotherhood is rooted in something ever so profound that we're brothers and sisters together because of what Jesus accomplished. We're in a unique relationship. I love that statement. You get when Jesus rose from the dead, he triumphed through the cross, the resurrection. He's alive again. And you get this opening phrase. It's one of the first things he says, go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. Now, he'd never used that language before. At one time, he said, I don't call you followers anymore, disciples. I call you friends Wow, that's exciting. Now he's come back. Now he says, now tell my brothers. That's, that's completely new, my brothers. I mean, what have they done to earn that? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I mean, while, while he's been away, as it were, while he's been crucified alone, it says they all ran away. Uh, Peter kind of cursed and swore and said, I don't know him. I'm not with him. Don't associate me with him. And Jesus alone goes into the cross, goes into death, goes into resurrection. Go tell my brothers. What have they done to deserve brotherhood? Nothing at all. It's all the gift of God that through his mercy we're suddenly called brothers. We're suddenly adopted into the family. We can call God Father. That's not a universal thing. It's just because we've been adopted into the family. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might become sons. And because we're sons, we have the spirit of sonship in our heart, crying, Abba, Father. We know what it is to be children of God. So this isn't just a kind of informal phrase, oh, brother. It's an amazing statement. We call ourselves brothers because we really are co-heirs with Christ. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. And so it's not a, um, a casual comment. It's a reality. We are brought right into the family of God. And when Paul writes to the churches, he writes to them in this kind of vein. My brothers, we're brothers in this because of Jesus, because of what he's done. And Paul doesn't stand on ceremony himself. He doesn't say, um, well, you know, I'm an apostle. Um, You know, I run lots of stuff. And you're all, you know, church members. He says, no, brothers, we're in this together. So he's not standing aloof. He's not standing on his position. He is one of the brothers. He says, uh, God showed me mercy. I was, he was a, a blasphemer, he says. He destroyed Stephen, the great uh, young servant of God, full of power and wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And uh, he was there at his slaughter. He's not worthy to be called a servant of God, but he is. And he celebrates this reality. So we want people to... I wrote a book called Spirit-Filled Church. And on this kind of stuff, I called this chapter, Consider Yourself one of the family. I love that old Oliver, uh, if you know that song from Oliver, consider yourself one of the family. And uh, that's what we want people to do when they come in. Yeah, consider yourself one of the family. Get joined in. Don't add, you're not added at the end of the line. You're added to the circle. You're immediately with us. You're part of us. We, we value who you are. We celebrate your being with us. We're glad you found grace like we found grace. And so brotherhood is massive. It's a huge thing. And they are brothers. 
You can relax with brothers. You can speak plainly to brothers. Uh, my, my, I had one brother. He was a lot older than I. went off into the army, and I didn't know him terribly well. But I've got four sons, and I love their relationship. They're eased with one another, just the fun of being together as brothers. Brothers can be open. Brothers can be relaxed. When we got filled with the Spirit decades ago, I used to go to church originally in my teens, saved from the world, and you'd sit in the row in the pew, and no one would speak to you at all. And then we had, got filled with the Spirit, and we started house churches. My, my pastor, the Baptist pastor, said, what are you doing, meeting in homes? You'll kill the church. Actually, we, we I think, helped revive the church. Because when you go into a home, there's no back row. <laughs> and you can't kind of hide. And you're not Mr. So-and-so. You know, hi, John. How Fred, you know, it's, you're just people, you're friends. I mean, when we started meeting in homes, so much changed. It was kind of incidental where we were, but it broke through and brought us much closer to New Testament Christianity, where they were informal together. So they're brothers, right? My brothers, my, the next word is my beloved. Agapitoi, it's this word agape, and it's just got a few letters added to the end of agape, that richly Christian word for love. Such a rich word for love. And it's because we are beloved of God, we're beloved of one another. And so Paul's unashamed to say, my brothers, my beloved. Uh, in most translations, it'll say my beloved brothers. But the way he writes it is my brothers, my beloved. And uh, we're not, as uh, English guys, often in the mood of saying to someone, I love you. But it's interesting, Paul is unashamed to say elsewhere in the Scripture, God knows, says in 2 Corinthians 11, 11, God knows I love you. It's a very explicit thing. God knows I love you. And this is what, what the world needs now is love, love, love. They really need to know they're beloved and treasured. And if people know they're loved, and this is going to be expressed not only in words but in ways, then that, that's the whole thing, to gather them in. They may, not, they may not yet understand much about God when they first get saved, but your ability to love them will help them believe that God loves them. Help them feel, no, God, God's in this place. I feel the affection that's being expressed toward me. And that's what we want ever so much in our smaller group system. That, because on a Sunday, it's not always so easy in the big crowd. But in that smaller group, to, to, to know that you're beloved, that you're valued, that you're listened to, that when people are speaking, we're, we're listening to them, we're not uh, distracted. Oh, yes, I'll give you your time a bit, but I'm over here, really. That ability to value people in their own right, to express love to them, actions of love are just beautiful to uh, show that this really means something to us. When we first moved recently, a year or so back, we had my elderly sister who just lived a few weeks. She was getting quite frail at the end. But I was amazed how many people in our church, whom we hardly knew yet, were willing to, can we come and sit with your sister? I thought, well, you don't hardly know her or us yet. But it was such an expression of love, just to be willing to pop in and be there for a while. And we thought, oh, we're being loved into this church. It's a great thing. And it needs uh, uh, action as well as words. And Paul says this, I will most gladly spend and be expended for you. And, and it's not always easy to love. People can be 
a bit unreliable. You can prepare for your evening and they don't turn up. And they forget to phone and say, I'm not coming. And You, know, you, can, you can think, blow this. Uh, and, you know, I've had a hard day. And then they didn't turn up. And, and, and it's, it's a time like that we need to get back into the love of God or we'll just get irritated with them. Or we'll tell them off on the phone or, you know, we'll just be miserable toward them. So we ourselves, we need to keep plunging ourselves in this love which came to us so freely anyway so that we can keep giving love uh, to people. And, and I find that it's not easy just to say, I love you. Uh, I don't know if it's my Englishness or what it is. But there are times when you do feel it. And I, I try, I've tried to discipline myself over the years, if that's the right phrase, that when I get a moment when I do feel that sort of surge of affection, I do express it verbally. And so I do say to people sometimes, I, do, I really love you. And I don't say it when I'm not feeling it, to be honest. I'd be scared of that in case it came out. <laughs> but, but there are moments, there are moments when you... When you do feel, and it, and it may well be, it is the love of Christ moving in your heart. And I will verbalize it then. I will, I will express it. I thought to myself, now, I do love this guy, and I can't just say it cold. But if there's a moment, I am going to say it. I am going to take that moment. And so I would encourage that we express it. Paul was unashamed to say, God knows I love you. And that's what we're talking We're talking about the community of God. We're talking about something the world cannot offer. With no angles. We're not on trying to sell something. It's real. It's authentic. But we probably need help in God to express it, to manifest it. But this is where people are going to know it's worth belonging to this church. And sometimes people will be offended. Sometimes things will go wrong. And it's, if they feel that love... That, that is going to help them overcome moments, bad moments, disappointing moments, when maybe some very undisciplined person in the group spoke harshly or wasn't ready or came to the group a bit miserable. Uh, the, the certainty there's love in this place is going to help people through, and it's important for us to see that. Paul sees these people as his beloved, and we're, in a sense, ambassadors bringing God's love to people. So that's the second thing, and I think if we can see that uh, worked uh, through our groups, it'll be uh, a huge blessing. So my brothers, we're brothers. It, that is the reality. It's all, the ground's all level at the cross. We're brothers more than anything else. Brothers and sisters, we're in the same relationship to God. And uh, we, whom we love, my beloved. Then thirdly, he says, I long for you. Now, a lot of translations add the phrase, I long to see you, which, you know, they add it. It's not in the text. It's probably, well, that's what we say. I long to see you. I long for you. Well, if you're together, you're not longing, are you? But here, I think Paul is saying, yeah, he's away from them. He's, he's in prison somewhere else. But he does, he has, I think the phrase that came to me when I was preparing for this morning, he's got ambition for them. He's got ambition for them. And I want to encourage you as small group leaders to look at your group in that way, to think that guy could be, that woman could be, that person, you know, they could, if they just saw this, it would open them up. If they understood that, it could change them. If they grasped this, it could set them free from that hang-up. 
And so to look at people and, and have more ambition for them than they have for themselves. It's been a privilege to lead New Frontiers over the years. And to see young guys coming through, I just two weeks ago, I gathered 26 of the younger pastors. I don't lead New Frontiers anymore. I've stepped out of it, uh, the center of it. And it's always, you know, being led by other people. But I occasionally gather these guys. And I'm just so thrilled to see their progress. So these are guys now coming in through their 30s. Some just coming out to 40. I've known many of them since they were, some of them just young guys in churches. Now they're pastors and they're, they're raising churches and they're raising money. And, they're and I, I, I'm so excited to see their progress. And I, I just joined a church um, down in Mid-Sussex. And uh, I'm just looking around, I see some young guys. And I guess that, that's my world, really. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what God's got for him. I wonder what God's got for her. I wonder, what, I wonder if they realize. I wonder if they realize the potential they've got. So when Paul says, you know, I long for you, I want to encourage you not to, I've got to get through this passage of Philippians tonight. You know, we've got the coffee ready, get the Philippians stuff out. But as we get to know these people and pray for them, to get ambition for their spiritual progress, that God might, even in your prayer times between meetings, develop into some kind of a longing for their growth. You know, it's the same with kids, isn't it? You long for their growth. We, we had five kids. You just long for them. You long for them. You long for them to be fulfilled, to be making good progress. And, and so Paul's got that attitude for them. He's, he's not just kind of enduring them. He, he's longing for them. He's got ambition for them. And he says in chapter 1, verse 8, I long for you with the affection of Christ. And uh, the word there, there is the compassion of Christ. Interesting, it's an almost impossible word to pronounce, very weird Greek word. But it's, the, it's only mentioned in connection with Christ in the Bible. It's about Jesus was moved with compassion. And then Paul sometimes says he's moved with compassion, but he says the compassion of Christ. It's not his own, it's Christ's. And so because we are spirit-filled, because the Lord lives in us, we can experience you know, ambition, compassion, longing, and we can find God doing something in us that gives us a longing for their progress, that, that makes you pray for them, that makes you long for this. I, you know, you see this girl, what's she doing? She's making a wrong connection hey, I think she's getting interested in this guy at work. He's not even a Christian. Come on, we would pray. Get ambitious for her to come through to a good home place in God, be safe in God. And other people in our groups have got all kinds of challenges they face that on their behalf, we're not just running the group, but we, we intercede for them. We have ambition for their breakthrough. We look for their potential to be realized, we ask questions. How's it going at work? Are you in line for promotion? What do you think about school? Do you think you're going to get this exam? Will you get through? Are you, how's it going with your kids? I guess you're concerned about it. Can we pray with you? And, and so Paul says, I long for Christ to be formed in you. I long for Christ to be formed in you. So he says that elsewhere in Colossians. He said, we preach Christ, but he said... We're, we're admonishing them and teaching them. Because why? I want to present every one of them mature. That's, he wants to bring them to maturity. And we know that reality that people get saved from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of hang-ups, sometimes self-importance, 
Sometimes the very opposite, no value, self-worth, whatever. Sometimes they've had messed up life, some, all kinds of different lives. And we know Jesus can set them free right across the board. And so to have ambition that, you know, she'll get through this, he'll make it through that, he'll grow through this. And, and so Paul is saying, I long for you. So a small group is not just something we come to. It's a place where I'm going to be longed for. My, my, there are people ambitious for my progress. And the way we share around the circle, maybe at some part of the evening, how's it going? I don't know how you do your various meetings. But let other people, you know, maybe, wow, let's get behind. He's coming up for this exam. Can we all pray for him or for her for this moment in the meeting? Let's, let's, let's gather in the circle mutual ambition for one another's success. It's not just we as leaders have that, but we cultivate that in the small group, people hoping you're going to make it through this, hoping you're going to grow in this. So we're in this thing together. So that mutual affection and ambition begins to grow. But as small group leaders, to be honest, we set the pace. It's part of the, the calling to do it. We kind of set the pace. We lead people into it. We open the door for it to happen. And then it's wonderful when you see one brother or sister caring for another and beginning to come out from themselves. And if that's happening in your group, you're beginning to get quite a healthy group that's taking place. People longing for one another. Paul says in Galatians 4:19, My children, with whom I'm again in labor until Christ be formed in you. It's like I'm still travailing. I'm still in labor. And a lot of you ladies here will understand that a lot better than I do. But it's kind of, I'm really, I'm really longing for your, your breakthrough. It's like I'm still giving birth to you. I know you're born again. I know you're a child of God, but you know, there's stuff still to happen yet. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still praying for you. So Paul's giving that attitude. That's what he's working at. So longing for people, all right? So they're brothers and sisters, their family. We're beloved. We learn that in the small group, perhaps more than we do in the big meeting. We're longed for their progress. Then his fourth word is my joy. That's a fun word to find there. And it's an easy word to forget when small group becomes a bit demanding. And, you know, it's like Wednesday night again or whenever night you do it. You think, gosh, the last thing I need. I had to rush home, from, <laughs> rush home from work. Did I get this, the preparation done? It can, you can hit, you know, halfway through the series. You can hit those times and think, oh, grief. And it's very important, I think, when you think of what Paul... Paul's writing from prison. As you go through the epistle, you'll find he refers to these chains. Sometimes modern Bibles translate it as prison. Literally, it's chains. He's probably, he's probably chained. could be chained to soldiers either side of him. And I'm sure that uh, prisons in those days were not exactly like a modern prison. You can't imagine what it was like. And yet somehow, one of the characteristics of this whole book of Philippians is joy. You're going to keep on meeting that word. Rejoice, joy, I found such joy. And uh, uh, you'll find the word is recurring through, through the epistle. And you say, how, how does he do that? How does he stay happy? Why doesn't he say, life is terrible, I'm in prison. Uh, He's got this ability. He even says, Christ is being preached out of envy to make my imprisonment seem worse. But I rejoice because Christ is being preached. Well, how do you do that? 
How do you celebrate when people have got real bad attitudes? But I honestly believe it's absolutely fundamental for us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when, when the work becomes oppressive, when it's like, ah, oh, this is such a pain, we've really lost it. And we need, to, we need to really back up. And it's interesting when Nehemiah gives that famous insight in his book, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. It comes at a, a time of difficulty, of setback, a time of feeling, oh, wow, gosh, we're making a mess here. And he says, hey, 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 steady, steady, don't forget. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I want to encourage you in that, that in your own heart, I'm a great fan of George Mueller, who was, um, uh, George Mueller set up a number of, mission, uh, of um, orphanages, you may have read about him, uh, back in the, uh, I guess, yeah, 19th century, he, he formed, he was looking after hundreds of orphans in the end. And uh, he had no, no guaranteed support, so it was a prayer ministry, just a phenomenal thing that he did. And, uh, you know, caring for hundreds and hundreds of poor kids. And uh, he, 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 his diaries are fascinating to read. And one of the things he says is this, God made it clear to him that his chief duty every day was, you think, well, his chief duty, feed hundreds of people. I mean, he says this, to make sure my soul is happy in God. It's a, such an insight of a guy who's extraordinarily busy, got thousands to care for, no guarantee. I mean, whoa, it's enough to drive you to... I mean, he, he gave it all over when he was 70. It didn't kill him. And, and when he was 70, he went on 17 years of international evangelistic ministry until he was 87. And then he came back to the orphanages for another about eight years. Amazing guy. So he didn't, anxiety did not drain his life. He said, no, this is my chief duty every day. Make sure my soul is happy in God. And I, I would encourage you, look, it, when, it, when it becomes heavy, everybody will pick it up. When you're fed up with this, you're not going to excite many people. And so Paul writes to this church, which is divided and in real serious trouble. He says, you're my joy. He writes to the Corinthians, who are a pain, I mean, terrible church. And in the opening chapter, he says, my joy. He says, how do you do that? I believe he's cultivated this aspect of thanksgiving, of worship, and praise, of celebration. And we have to do it for ourselves first. I, I often... I'm often uh, flying overseas, and I go, next, I go next week to America. You get on the plane, one of the first things that they say is this, if the oxygen uh, cuts out, uh, you'll find a mask will drop. And, uh, and they say the same thing every time. So if the mask will drop, take the mask, put it over your face. If you have a needy person with you, like a child, put it on yourself first. You think, that's very selfish. You know, you can think, ah, oh, forget that. I'm going to put it on little Johnny first. I mean, he's my Johnny. And, and so you say, you know, the, the oxygen goes, the masks drop. You say, oh, Johnny, put the mask on. You see, and Johnny says, don't want it. Don't want it. Put the mask on, Johnny. Don't want it. Johnny, put the mask on. <laughs> and you say, hey, what's happening to me? And they know what they're doing. They understand. You put it on yourself first. Then you look out. And, and, and other people being your joy 
has to do with an attitude in your own heart that realizes that joy is such a key, that enjoys the grace of God, celebrates God has had kindness in my life. Keep on giving thanks. Keep on praising. Keep on celebrating. That chief duty, he says, sounds a very legalistic word, to just keep on thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Enjoy his love. Out of that, I believe we do begin to see tremendous joy And Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 4 of Philippians, always giving thanks for you in every prayer of mine, in all my prayers for all, I always pray with joy. I'm praying with joy. And joy has got to be so real. We won't serve the people of God well if it's become burdensome. If they know it's a problem, they're a problem to us. Did you you take your shoes off in my house, please? I mean, all sorts of stuff we we can mess people up with. We just, we just need to have some joy in our hearts to give away, some celebration of, of God's wonderful love for us, and that we do enjoy their advances, knowing that some people started further back than others. And some people have been saved out of very pleasant circumstances, and their personality and character was already somewhat formed, maybe by good parenting and, and other things that have... But, you know, they're, they're still learning about Jesus, but some have come from a long way back and can mess up and let you down, abuse people, speak out and turn, awkward in the meeting. And to have joy in them takes a bit more cultivating. And so we need God's help in that. So he can say of these that they are his joy. And uh, it's great. I love it. Because um, we can feel well, it's, it's not a very good group. You know, I imagine you know, Abraham, when Abraham said to, God said to Abraham, I will make you fruitful. Wow, thank you, Lord. Uh, Sarah is barren. Huh? Well, I could be fruitful, but through Sarah. You know, it's like, you could say, I could be fruitful, but look at the group you gave me. <laughs> nice embracing, saying, oh, Lord, thank you. And it does take discipline. Otherwise, you'll find yuck. And I love at the beginning of creation where it says at the end of each day, at the end of each day, it says, and God said, it's good. It doesn't say, I've only got that done now. I've got days to go yet. I mean, there's, no, there's no animals yet. There's, no, there's so much to do, so much to do. At the end of each day, he says, it's good. And I believe that the apostle somehow caught something in that, in God, that he can look at, he, he talks about the care of all the churches, but he can look at Corinth and say, I rejoice over you. Look at this Philippian church in trouble. I pray with you, for you with joy. I think, wow, how does he do that? And I just want to say, no, it's, it's getting in touch with God ourselves, so we've got some joy to spare. And as, as group leaders, that's one of our callings. As we prepare, as we give ourselves to serve these people that have come amongst us, my joy. And then last of all, my crown, my crown. And that's, a, that's not so much a, a kind of crown that the Queen says is very heavy, uh, but it's like a victor's wreath. It's, a, uh, it's apparently made of celery, of all things. Um, in the Olympics, these crowns they gave you if you won something, uh, they were made of celery. Uh, but... Uh, that was the winner's crown. You, you got that because you won the race 
They give you one of these wreaths. That's the word that's used here. So it's not a regal crown. It's a, it's a reward for having run the race. And, and Paul is saying, there's something about what happens in these people I serve. They are actually my crown. And, and I think that's one of the differences of the church of the New Testament and often the modern church, which I'm, I'm trying, God, please get us away from that modern church and be kind of different rather remarkable, rather, hey, you're different. Why? Well, I think, you know, Paul says of a church he's serving, you're my crown. On the day I stand before God, somehow what I did with you is going to reflect on that day. And so often Paul's epistles, talk, he talks about things in that day. It's like that's always on his mind, the day he stands before God. That's not, you know, some distant thing. It's, it's like, it's, it, you will find it often in his writings. That's in his mind, that day, the day I get presented before God. And this church is in his mind. And, he, and it's not like in the modern world where a guy, you know, maybe a pastor of this church, then he doesn't like it much and gets changed to that church. And then he gets, oh, it's a bigger church. He moves to that church and, you know, forgot that one. He goes on to, and that's just a kind of professional up the ladder of the denomination. And, you know, didn't you go, oh, yeah, I used to be there. Paul isn't like that. It's like, I'm joined to you. And when I stand before God, the fact that I've been joined to you will be there, it's there forever. And that, I think that's one of the unique, one of the reasons I felt drawn to this one verse in trying to serve you today in going into Philippians is the value system that comes through this verse. That I would feel probably knowing you as a church somewhat. You say, yeah, don't we want, yeah, we do want these things. We want this. And it's through small groups and the way you lead that these, this kind of culture gets cultivated. This atmosphere, it comes through. And so, so to say, right, that, that I really care about these people. And Paul says in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, he says, in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory that I didn't run in vain. In the day of Christ, the day I stand before God, you won't say that church, oh, that was a waste of time, didn't work. No, no, it stood. And on that day, uh, he says similar things in Thessalonians where he says, who is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? So many parables Jesus spoke talk about the day, you know, gives us responsibility, gives us this word called talents, which is a bit unhelpful really certain sum of money in the parable, and you reproduce it, and then we appear before God. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? Well, you gave me five, and I got five more. You gave me two, I got two more. You gave me one, and I buried it. And, and that, the, the parables are all, all say, when he comes again, what's he going to think? And that seems, Paul seems to have that in his makeup, in his motivation of his life. And so he wants, he wants that at the end. Hey, we can... We can stand before God. And what we did, count it. You are my crown, my victory crown. Paul, or Peter writes, rather, and I'll just read these verses, then we'll close this session. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 to 4. He says, Shep, well, he says to the fellow elders, the shepherds, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not looking for gain, but with eagerness, not lording it over them, those affected, allotted to your charge, proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. There it is again, that crown of glory. And, and I don't want to overstate this. You may say, Terry, you've pitched this. You know, we're just looking after a group. And, uh, you know, we're just hosting these things. I realize we can view it in various different ways. And I certainly don't say this to burden you. But I would hope to motivate and excite. We can do stuff with the people who come to our home every week that will change this church and create a culture that will make it so attractive that God will keep on blessing us, keep on making us grow. Many poor lost people, beaten up people in the world, so scattered, so lonely. They can find, oh, it's a home. I found a home. And that's what it's, that's this gospel. That's what it's about. And I believe it works mostly through the small group thing. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's attitude, which, Lord, when I, when I think he wrote it from prison, I'm amazed that he's so positive, so bright. Lord, so ambitious for their success. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning as they serve the groups that come to them, that you will, Lord, build into them these lovely values and make leading their groups a time of great joy and fulfillment. Let your hand be on them for good. Bless us as we talk together now, we pray. Amen.